You're listening to a sermon preached at Cross and Crown in Melbourne. We believe that God speaks through the Bible and He calls us to preach the Word and proclaim His Gospel. We pray that as you listen, you will be strengthened to know, love and live for Jesus. Heavenly Father, open our eyes to see the blessings of prayer and the gifts of your Son and your Spirit. In Jesus' name, Amen. Faith is to the soul what life is to the body. Prayer is to faith what breath is to life. How a man can live and not breathe is past my comprehension. And how a man can believe and not pray is past my comprehension too. Quote number two. We must pray on earth or we will never praise in heaven. We must go through the school of prayer or we will never be fit for the celebration of praise. In short, to be prayerless is to be without God, without Christ, without grace, without hope, and without heaven. It is to be on the road to hell. If prayer is to faith what breath is to life, then I wonder what our prayers say about our lives. Based on your prayers, how alive are you? It's ironic, isn't it? Prayer is supposed to be the lifeblood of Christian discipleship, and yet so many of us, we struggle to pray. And every time we get asked, why do you struggle to pray? We always have the mundane reasons, don't we? Life is too busy, time is too short, prayer feels inefficient, it feels ineffective. But I wonder if the deeper roots of our prayerlessness are not superficial, but deeply spiritual. I wonder if our prayerlessness actually stems from not really knowing who God is. I mean, just think about it. If I don't really know you, why why would I want to talk to you? And if we don't really know God, why would we want to pray to God? You see, friends, what defines prayer is not us, but the God to whom we pray. If we want to be deep in prayer, it actually all starts with a clearer and more compelling vision of God. And there's no better way to get that vision than understanding and seeing and beholding the Trinity. You know, when we see God as he is, Father, Son, and Spirit, we will have every reason to be deep in prayer. Because God is Trinity, we can pray wherever we are, whatever we've done, and however we feel. Number one, we can pray wherever we are. You know, throughout history, most societies and most people have restricted where we can pray and where we can't pray. So, Jews pray in their synagogues. Buddhists pray in their temples. Muslims pray in their mosques. It's in our nature to make certain spaces sacred, as if this place right here, this is where you meet God. And you might think, well, I'm not really like that. But I think we actually are all deeply like that. I mean, this is what one of my friends says. Adam, I can't pray to God unless my church has the right atmosphere. And there's a lot that comes with that. 
Or I was speaking to one man who said when I invited him to church, he said, Adam, I just can't pray to God or worship him in a primary school gym. Suffice to say, he never visited. Now, most of us, we're not so brazen as to say, I can, I can only pray to God if... But our actions betray our hearts. You know, some of us, we only pray to, when we're alone, but never with others. Or some of us only pray when we're with others, but never alone. Some of us only pray when we're at church or at BLT, but it would never occur to us to pray on campus or at work. You see, where we pray can actually reveal where we believe God to be sovereign. Where we pray can actually reveal where we believe Jesus to be king and the spirit to be at work. If I never pray in the office, do I really believe that God is present in my work? You know, early on in my working life, I I never actually prayed at work. I prayed all the time at church and at home, but it kind of never really occurred to me to pray at the office. I wonder if my prayerlessness at work said something about my view of God's kingship. Did I think that God's kingdom somehow stopped at the top of Collins Street or stopped at the front of the hospital? Many of us subtly restrict where we pray. And so we subtly restrict where God is at work. And that's not all that different from how first century Jews and Samaritans thought about prayer. In John 4, Jesus meets a Samaritan woman, and I want you to hear what she says. This is what she says to Jesus. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews say that the place to worship is Jerusalem. So she's saying, just like the Muslims who pilgrimage to Mecca for Hajj, you pray over there and we pray to God over here. You believe that that's where God dwells. We believe that this is where God dwells. But listen to what Jesus says to her. Believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. But an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The woman replies, I know that the Messiah is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. And then Jesus has that mic drop moment. I, the one speaking to you, am he. Friends, can you see what's happening here? The son, the son who from eternity past has dwelt with the father, he now comes to dwell with us. And by the Spirit, the Son now lives in us. He brings us into the fellowship of God, that that fellowship of eternal, selfless love. There is no more holy land for us to travel to. There is only a holy person for us to know. And that person is Jesus, the Son. In John 2, Jesus says, I am the true temple. He is the place where we meet God. He is the place where we pray to the Father. And now, by the Spirit, he makes us temples of God as well. So wherever we physically are, we are always spiritually in the one place that truly matters. We are always kept in the inner life of God. 
That's where we really are. That's where we always are. So we don't need to go to a holy land because we are a holy people. Later tonight, some of your friends might call you out for dinner or supper and they'll call you and ask, hey man, where are you? Well, this is what you should tell him. I am in the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And then tell him where you physically are. Friends, we are always kept in the Trinity. We are always kept in the Trinity. So no matter where we might be, we can always pray to the Father. You know, as our church starts to physically regather, let me set your expectations for a moment. We won't be returning to something familiar. We're not going back to the primary school. Church won't look or feel like it did just eight months ago. And you might have gotten used to praying to God in that primary school gym. And when you come on site here at Glen Hill Community Church, you might even feel just uncomfortable. Everything might feel just a little unfamiliar. Gosh, you might even prefer the aesthetic of meeting in that gym. And you might feel somewhat disappointed at moving into a fixed church building. But if we make our prayers dependent on where we physically gather, we're actually ignoring where we spiritually dwell. We're neglecting the one place that truly matters, the one place where we always are, in the inner life of God. That's why Paul could pray from a prison cell. Hagar could pray from a barren wilderness and Jonah could pray even from the belly of a fish. It doesn't matter where we physically are because we are always kept in the inner life of God. And the moment we make our worship of God dependent on our place of worship, we're actually diminishing the value of our true home. We're saying that God is not enough. As we slowly move into this new location, we might be moving house, but as I said, we are not moving home. Our true home is in the eternal fellowship of God. Our true home is in the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. See, cross and crown, the reality is we might never own a physical building of our own. But maybe that's not such a bad thing. Because it stops us from ever thinking that this world is our home. It reminds us of actually where we really are. We are always kept in the Trinity. So we can pray. We can worship wherever we are. Secondly, we can pray whatever we've done. We can pray whatever we've done. You know, as I've reflected on it, I'm actually convinced that the greatest challenge to prayer is the shame we feel at our sin. The greatest challenge to prayer is the shame we feel at our sin. Let me tell you about my friend David. For many years, David has struggled with an addiction to pornography. Early on, he didn't really see it as much of a problem. But over time, as he grew in his love for God, he was convinced that this addiction, it was killing his soul. And so, praise God, he began a long battle to kill that sin. Now, for the first few months, things were going well. And you know what? For the very first time, David thought to himself, I can change. 
I can actually change. Until one night, when he was least expecting it, he fell. He fell hard. That night, he fed for hours the sin that he had starved for months. And at one in the morning, he lay in bed, ashamed. The thought crossed in mind, maybe I'll pray to God. I should pray to God. I should go to him on my knees, asking for forgiveness and pleading to him for help. But a voice entered his mind. How could you? How could you pray after what you've just done? How could you stand before God with all your shame? And David thought to himself, I can't. I won't. So he went to bed. And the shame stained his soul as that voice echoed in his mind. You don't deserve to pray. You know what's most tragic is not actually David's sin. It's David's shame. You know, God offers to forgive David's sin if only he would come. But it's David's shame that keeps him from coming. It's his shame that stops him from praying. And I think to myself, if only he could see God as he is, if only he saw God as Father, Son and Spirit, then he would never have to feel that shame again. He would realize, I can pray to the Father whatever I've done. Have you ever wondered what Jesus is doing right now? What's he doing? Where is he? What's he doing right this very moment? Well, Hebrews 9 tells us that Jesus has entered into heaven itself so that he might now appear in the presence of God for us. Right now, right this very moment, the Son is standing before the Father and he is speaking for us. Isn't that remarkable? You and I, we were sinners excluded from the life and the love of God. We were unholy. We had no right to stand before the Father. And yet, the Son whom the Father perfectly loves stands for us. The Son for whom the Father created all things, He speaks for us. The Son who is honoured by the Father. Have you, has it ever occurred to you? He prays for us. Jesus, right now, is praying for you. And so as the Father looks upon our sin, as the Father sees our shame, the Son stands between us and he says to the Father one word. Forgiven. Forgiven. Verse 26, but now, but now he has appeared one time at the end of the ages for the removal of sin by the sacrifice of himself. Friends, do you see, the son died to remove our sin. He died as a sacrifice for our sin. He died to pay for our sin. Why? Also, that we might come to the Father. All so that we might pray. 
I'm willing to bet that most of us here have that one sin that we cannot erase from our memories. That one sin that keeps us up at night. That one sin that keeps us far from God. That one sin that stops us from praying. I want you to know the son died to remove that sin. He died as a sacrifice for that sin. He died to pay for that sin once for all. So now, as the father looks upon your sin, as he sees your shame, the son stands between you and the father and he says one word, forgiven. Brothers and sisters, we can come to the father. Whatever you've done, you can pray to the father. All because of the son. That's why we pray in Jesus' name. Has it ever occurred to you? We pray to the Father in the name of the Son. There is no other name and there is no other way. Because no one can stand before God but God. And no one can stand for, no one can speak for men but man. The the only way we can pray is through a person who is truly God, who can stand before God, and one who is truly man who can speak for us. I don't know about you, but that leaves one man standing on the field. Jesus, the Son of God. You see, the only way we can pray to the Father is in the name of the Son. If God is not Trinity, prayer is not possible. Jesus died so that we can draw near to the Father. Jesus died so that you can pray. What a privilege. What a blessing. So let me ask, will you? Will you draw near to the Father? Will you pray? Will you, in the words of Hebrews 4, approach the throne of grace with boldness? Not timidly, not without assurance, but with boldness. It almost feels wrong, doesn't it? It almost feels a bit brazen, a bit presumptuous to, you know, barrel up to God and say, I'm here boldly to pray to you. I mean, if I've just fallen into sin, isn't it just somewhat presumptuous for me to boldly claim the Father's forgiveness? Well, no. It's not. Not at all. Because God has forgiven your sin, not because of you, but all because of the Son. You see, when we pray, we aren't begging God for a forgiveness that he might not give. We are receiving a forgiveness that he has already won. That's why in 1 John 1, we confess our sins confident that God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We're not left guessing if the Father will forgive us. Now, I want you to know, he will, if we would but humbly and boldly pray. 
In 2016, uh, Andy Judd, who lectures at Ridley College, he co-wrote a song called No More to Pay. And if you want an example of a bold and gutsy prayer, this is it. Let me read its lyrics to you. Why would I dwell on the past? Why would I hide in the dark as if I'm still in chains? Shouldn't my conscience be clear? Didn't my Saviour bleed? His grace is enough for me. This is my right. Now I'm in Christ. Now he stands in my place. Whatever I've done or I've become, I am covered by grace. This is my only claim. Now he speaks for me. There's no more to pay. It's pretty gutsy stuff, isn't it? Pray like that, this is my right. But it is because the sun stands in my place. The sun speaks for me. Do you see, friends, we can stand before the Father because the sun stands for us. We can speak to the Father because the sun speaks for us. We can pray to the Father because the sun prays for us. I'm convinced as well that one of the chief ways the devil keeps us from praying is by accusing us of our sin. It's his voice that whispers, you don't deserve to pray. Well, know this, when Satan tempts you to despair and he tells you of the guilt within, look upwards and see him there who made an end to all your sin. If you're not a Christian, I hope you realise that Jesus died so that you might come to God. Jesus died to take away all your sin and all your shame. He died so that you might be forgiven, known and loved by this God. And you need to know that whatever you've done or whatever you've become, There is no sin too great for our Saviour. There is no sin too great for our Saviour. Let me invite you. Why don't you pray? God, have mercy on me. You see, we can pray wherever we are and we can pray whatever we've done because the Son prays for us. Thirdly and lastly, we can pray however we feel. You know, I used to find it easy to pray when uh, life was hard and harder to pray when life was easy. I don't know if that's just a me thing, but lately I've found it far easier to pray when life is easy and far harder to pray when life is hard. I don't know why. I don't know why. But I wonder if there are some experiences that hurt beyond words can express. And if you've ever experienced that sort of pain, that sort of hurt, you'll know what it feels like to suffer in silence. They say that speaking and praying our grief can help get the pain out of our hearts. Sometimes you just feel so tired, so weak, so helpless. You just don't have the strength to get the pain out. 
You just can't find the words to describe your hurt. You groan under the weight of your suffering. In Romans 8, Paul describes something of this experience. And he describes it in three groanings, in three groanings. Romans chapter 8, verse 22. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. There's the first groaning. As we long for a new world, free from disease, disaster, or death. Verse 23, not only that, but we ourselves, who have the Spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. There's the second groaning, as we long for a new body, free from anxiety, depression, and conflict. Have you ever felt that before? That, that deep groaning that is beyond words, that longing for a new world, a new life, a new beginning. See, in those moments, it can be so hard to know how to pray. Verse 26, in the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness because we do not know what to pray for as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us, here it is, with unspoken groanings. There's the third groaning. The Spirit groans with us. It's absolutely remarkable when you think about it. The Spirit gives voice to our pain. The Spirit speaks the words we cannot find. The Spirit prays the prayers we cannot pray. This verse here is not about speaking in tongues. We'll get to that in 1 Corinthians in a few years. Don't worry. It's about something so much more beautiful and so much more compelling and so much more comforting. In verse 27, Paul writes that the Spirit, he deeply connects us with the Father. He searches our hearts. He knows the depths of our pain. He knows depths that even we ourselves are not aware of. And he prays them for us to the Father. He brings before the Father the deepest parts of our hearts. And though we might be lost for words, the Spirit speaks for us. You know, right throughout the Bible, you'll never find a single prayer addressed to the Holy Spirit. Now, that's not to say we can't ever pray to the Spirit, but it's just not in His nature to draw attention to Himself. No, the Spirit is actively involved in our prayers, but He doesn't receive them. No, just like the Son, He brings them before the Father. He brings to the Father those prayers which we ourselves lack the strength to pray. How do we pray? We pray to the Father through the Son, and by the Spirit. Let me uh, level with you all. You know, this year, the Spirit praying for me, this reality has actually been one of the greatest comforts imaginable. I don't know how you found this year. I found it probably the hardest year of my life. And there have been so many times that I have felt totally and utterly helpless 
And all I've been able to pray is, God, I don't know what to do. I didn't ask for this situation. I don't want to be in this situation. Why me? Have you ever thought that? Give me someone else's problem. Anything other than this. And then you sit there in silence, unable to find the words. And you guys know I'm very rarely short of words. (laughs) But this year, I got nothing. And that's okay. That's okay. Because the Spirit prays for me. He searches the depths of my heart and he prays the words that I cannot find. Sometimes we think that no one understands our pain. One of my best mates said to me, he goes, Adam, I don't like to talk about problems with people who can't understand them. That's why I don't pray to God. He couldn't understand what I'm going through. Thought to myself, you fool. (laughs) Wish he read verse 27. The Spirit knows our hurt far deeper than we ever do. And because the Spirit is himself God, it makes God the one person who knows our pain. It makes God the one person worth praying to. I love the Trinity because it guarantees that God personally knows how I feel. It guarantees that he knows my pain. It guarantees that he truly knows my hurt. The Father is joined with me by the Spirit so deeply that what I feel, He knows. When I groan, He groans. God is not far away and distant. Oh, He's closer than you could imagine. He's so close that He knows my pain that no one else can know. And He prays the prayers. I cannot pray. The Trinity means that we can pray wherever we are, whatever we've done, and however we feel. This is how I want to end our time. In the book Valley of Vision, there's a prayer in there called the Trinity. It's clear, isn't it? I want to lead us in that prayer. The language is a little old, it's a little complex, So I'll take it slow, but I want you to listen carefully. I want you to close your eyes to allow you to focus on these words as I pray it for us. And I pray that this prayer will give voice to the prayers of our hearts. Let's pray. Three in one, one in three, God of my salvation. Heavenly Father, blessed Son, eternal Spirit, I adore Thee as one being, one essence, one God in three distinct persons for bringing sinners to Thy knowledge and to Thy kingdom. O Father, Thou hast loved me and sent Jesus to redeem me. O Jesus, Thou hast loved me and assumed my nature, shed Your own blood to wash away my sins, wrought righteousness to cover my unworthiness. O Holy Spirit, thou hast loved me and entered my heart, implanted their eternal life, revealed to me the glories of Jesus. Three persons and one God. 
I bless and praise thee for love so unmerited, so unspeakable, love so wondrous, so mighty to save the lost and raise them to glory. Oh, Father, I thank thee that in fullness of grace thou hast given me to Jesus to be his sheep, his jewel, and his portion. Oh, Jesus, I thank thee that in fullness of grace thou hast accepted, espoused, and bound me. Oh, Holy Spirit, I thank Thee that in fullness of grace, Thou hast exhibited Jesus as my salvation. You have implanted faith within me. You have subdued my stubborn heart. You have made me one with Jesus forever. Oh, Father, You are enthroned to hear my prayers. Oh, Jesus, Your hand is outstretched to take my petitions. Oh, Holy Spirit, You are willing to help my infirmities, to show me my need, to supply words, to pray within me, to strengthen me that I faint not in supplication. O triune God who commandeth the universe, you have commanded me to ask for all things that concern your kingdom and my soul. Let me live and let me pray as one baptized into your threefold name. For Jesus' sake. Amen.